0: Landline radio, landline radio, high energy, no filter. Oh yeah!
1: All right, folks, uh, we're back here with, uh, joined by Laura Norton Cruz. How you doing?
0: I'm doing well. How are you?
1: I'm uh, I'm pretty good. I saw you, I guess, last week, and you were in Juno. Mm-hmm. And uh, you were doing a lunch and learn, right?
0: Yeah, it was a great opportunity.
1: So, what's your, tell me, you're, you're with the Children's uh, Trust, right? The Alaska
0: Children's Trust, yeah. And, and you're? And I, I'm the director of the Alaska Resilience Initiative, which is a statewide network of people who, you know, from government departments, tribes, nonprofits, uh, school districts, communities, you know, parents, anyone who shares our goal of ending child maltreatment and intergenerational and systemic trauma. So, preventing trauma and building resilience.
1: So part of your role is kind of, I guess, your main focus of your role is advocacy and...
0: Yeah, policy advocacy, training, systems change work, um, networking people who are doing this work, sharing the good stories of, of the type of work happening around the state.
1: Okay, before, so before we um go on to, to your job, we used to be, so the first time we met was in Juneau, I think, right, in person? Yeah, last week. But like many people, I have a lot of Facebook friends um we were friends on Facebook. We were. And then I think some there was, there was an unfriending that occurred.
0: Yeah, I unfriended you. Uh Wouldn't be
1: the first person, <laughs> won't be the last.
0: You know, I don't do that much, um but I was trying to set a good boundary for myself cuz I got angry so many times. Was it was it was it
1: my com- was it the people commenting or was it some something?
0: It was I said. sexist stuff. Oh no. That you said. Um, and I kept saying, "Hey Jeff, like let me take a whole bunch of my time, you know, and try to explain this to you because you seem open to learning." And then it never went anywhere. So
1: sometimes it's a little bit of a little bit of provocation, but I'm, yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying I'm doing I just my best. you
0: know it was tiring after a while.
1: You, you uh, there, there is the unfollow option. There is. So, but now we're back, and now we're back on. But
0: now I'm I'm giving you a second chance. I, we're friends I, again. I,
1: I, like I said, you won't you won't be the last person to to unfriend me, and then re-add me. So.
0: Well, maybe maybe it'll make a difference. It
1: has, and we're, we're sitting here right now having a great conversation. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your earlier, talking about your background, and you've worked a lot in kind of childhood um, trauma and, and abuse, and then you're now in this role with the Children's Trust. So talk a little bit about your background, and then we'll kind of talk about your current role and what you're doing.
0: Okay. Well, um, I decided actually when I was eight that my life was going to be dedicated to ending child abuse. Um, eight? Eight, yeah. Wow,
1: you uh, really knew where you were. <laughs> yeah. Most people want to be doctors or
0: I I mean pilots or something. I wanted to be a, a lot of things. I think I wanted to be like a paleontologist and a bunch of other things but I decided at eight that I was going to end child abuse and, um, so the first job I had out of college was a teacher. I was a third grade teacher in a bilingual school.
1: Are you from Alaska or no?
0: Yeah, I'm from Alaska, but I ended up teaching. Um, I went to school in Massachusetts and I taught in California um, in, a, in a low-income school district. And it was a...
1: What, what's, I, what city?
0: Uh, it was called Palo Alto.
1: Ooh, nice, ooh. Um, well,
0: it must be a Spanish. It was it was the murder capital of the country for Sp- a while.
1: Spanish speaking, it sounds like, with that nice accent. Yeah, I
0: speak Spanish. Um, So I taught third grade and that was, uh, you know, reinforced for me why I wanted to work on child abuse issues because I could see that a lot of my students were struggling with with trauma, with stress, with the stress of poverty, with the stress of being afraid that their parents would be deported, with, you know, the Mm -hmm. stress of of all sorts of things, of um, boyfriends and, you know, mom's boyfriend who is abusive. You know, I did domestic violence calls, I did child abuse calls. Um, And I just wanted to create a safe environment for my students, and that led me to social work. So I ended up working at STAR, um, standing together against rape as a rape victim advocate and educator, and then I got my degree in social work and worked in um, various projects, but spent a long time in the tribal health system.
1: What brought you back to to Alaska? Was it the STAR, or was it?
0: I always knew I was coming back to Alaska. Yeah, I Uh, left for school, but I knew I was coming back.
1: I spent a year in Australia in 2017, and i um loved it there, I really did, but i I've been here since o four and I just it's a very special place you know you, you leave it. and you 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 always think about especially the people and then the the summer you know that's the mm-hmm. nice one but yeah no, I, I think a lot of people leave and then I'm
0: loyal to this place where
1: were you- bo- you were born
0: I was born in California, but Alaska. oh me too oh yeah San Diego. Oh, I was born at Travis Air Force Base. As soon as my dad got out of the Air Force when I was 10, we moved up here.
1: I was born at Balboa Naval Hospital. Oh, okay. So we're uh, got that in common. Yeah,
0: my dad lived down there for a while when his dad was in the Navy.
1: So um, when you were at STAR, um, how long long were you at STAR for?
0: Um, A year, a little over a year full time. And then um, I did advocacy on call for them when I was in grad school. And I'd come back for, you know, winter break or summer break. So for a little, a few years after that.
1: So how did you get kind of to the children's You said you've been there for a couple, three years?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I worked. So I worked in the tribal health system on domestic and sexual violence and adverse childhood experiences. And um, I loved the work I was doing, but I kept wishing there was a statewide network of all the people doing this work because I would try to connect with, oh, what are you doing at Alaska Pediatric Partnership? And what are you doing at the Alaska Mental Health Board? And what is, you know, what is this tribal health system doing and this one? And I just wished there was a network that kind of Mm -hmm. brought us together and helped share resources and had one hub. And then uh, the Children's Trust got a grant to do that, basically. And so I applied so I could be the one to help build it.
1: I think that's kind of in Alaska. I mean, we have so many nonprofits, and not just in this, um, in your, the work you do, but in general, there's all these different, whether it's homelessness, or whether it's there's all these different kind of groups mm-hmm. doing stuff, and they aren't necessarily always working together. And I think a lot of people are trying yeah. to find a way to say, look, if three people are doing the same thing. Let's work together. Exactly.
0: And, you know, I believe in that. And also... Nonprofits and tribes weren't always working together the way they needed to, or tribal nonprofits and you know, other nonprofits, or school districts, and so there needed to be more coordination between us and sharing of resources.
1: So the, so the work you're focused on, it's not just sexual abuse, it's all kinds of different traumas or adverse, what was the acronym you used earlier?
0: Adverse Childhood Experiences. It's ACEs for short.
1: Okay. And, and this is just going to be a range of all kinds. Tell me, tell me kind of all about the different things. Sure.
0: That... I mean, that term, it, it doesn't encompass all things that cause uh, toxic stress to children. And I'll explain what toxic stress is. But adverse childhood experiences, or ACEs, is a term that um, came into use because of a study that was done in the 1990s uh, at Kaiser Permanente in California. Um, and they, they had a study of 17,000 patients. So it was a really large group. And they asked them, they were trying to figure out if adult disease had an origin in childhood. And so they asked these 17,000 people about five things that happened to them when they were children, if they're physically, sexually or emotionally abused, and if they're physically or emotionally neglected. And then they asked about five things that happened in their household. Was there was a household member incarcerated or have mental health issues or substance abuse? Was there domestic violence and was there parental separation or divorce? And what they found is that as the number of adversities went up, like as someone had more of these adversities during childhood, so did their risk of health problems, of like every health problem you can think it of. It seems like,
1: it's, it's funny because nowadays I think everybody kind of just knows, like we all know that. It's kind of accepted. I mean, more or less, you if you have a bad childhood, you're probably going to have before that it wasn't maybe necessarily kind of known or didn't people didn't think about it or
0: yeah and i was you know i was raised um my mom's a nurse midwife and she always raised me to kind of have that understanding that if someone's struggling it's likely because of adaptations they made to the stress in their lives as children but um but for and I and I knew that child abuse was common, but a lot of people didn't, and like the main researcher, when he saw this data, he just wept, he had no idea how common child abuse was or how common children being exposed to domestic violence was and it and it really changed medicine. I mean, it still is changing medicine because you know, even though this seems logical, it's not it's not being used in medicine or used in policy or used in education as much as it could be you know we're still punishing children for for having totally predictable normal adaptations to trauma like trauma changes their brain right trauma changes the way they have to react to the stress in their lives and they're like always looking out for danger and then we punish them for that in schools
1: yeah i mean i think it's so you know clear if if a kid you know kids raised with two loving parents and you know that never worries about you know you know, eating or money or, or anything, how to get to school, whatever it might be. I mean, obviously they're, you know, I you look at some of these, I have friends who are teachers and, and they'll tell me in some of the schools here that in the wintertime, you know, they'll basically, some of the kids always don't have a jacket or gloves or something and they have to like, basically they buy them for them or people will donate and they'll, they'll try to help it. You know, it's like, you think, you think about just like dealing with that and then, you know, doing homework and, and getting educated and, and you know, mm-hmm. lear- learning all the basic stuff that kids should should learn and it's such a I think it's so I think it's a lot more common it's probably more common than, than most of us think about
0: yeah I mean it's really hard to concentrate when you're worrying about survival and when you're worrying about you know constantly being in danger not having enough to eat you know and that's why like the stresses on families are really important it's not just that parents are like choosing to you know abuse their kids necessarily um, but that there's a lot of stressors that are acting on families and we need to figure out to be effective how do we how do we support families? How do we help heal this intergenerationally?
1: So, I mean, it seems like the best way with, you know, to deal with this is, is really to have programs in place, whether it's private or government or nonprofit to, I mean, where, where are we at now as far as where we need like where we need mm, to be? If, 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 that's if, a good question. If this is 100%, where are we at as far as, I mean, I know it's probably not close.
0: Yeah. I mean, if we think about it across the lifespan, right, because this is intergenerational. Um, it's multigenerational, so I always so, start kind of preconception, right? If people can have children when they're ready to have children and they want them, that that helps. Um, so do does everyone have access to, you know, effective contraception when they when family planning services when they want and the education they need? Um if we think about it prenatally, right? Um, so domestic violence during pregnancy can have a really, negative effect on a developing child and on the pregnancy, um, but not everyone, so having really good prenatal care that assesses risk is good, but not everyone is getting prenatal, is getting adequate prenatal care in Alaska. Um, you know, if we think about the importance of depression and anxiety screening and treatment in pregnancy and and after a baby's born, um... That is, is an evidence-based best practice. It helps support mom's health and children's health, but that's not happening universally either. Um, we are not necessarily covering those services um, across the board. You know, We should be doing screening, developmental screening for all infants and children. Um, and I don't have the data in front of me, but there is a pretty sizable uh, portion of Alaskan children, something like 30 something percent who are not getting um, the required minimum or recommended uh, developmental screening. So if we keep going up, you know, the, mm-hmm. uh, affordable child, high-quality child care, right? is one of the least affordable places for child care in yeah, the no, country. I have,
1: I have friends, you know, I don't have any kids, but, you know, it's like $800, a thousand more, $1,200 a month for, you know, child care. It's, oh, yeah. It's really, it's too, I mean, unless you're really making, you know, a really good salary, I mean, a lot of money, then it's yeah. really... It's, it's. I
0: pay 35% of my, my salary in child care. <laughs> for wow. two kids I mean it's great two kids you know who, who aren't yet in kindergarten um it's crazy it's it's very unaffordable and hard to find and that's you know luckily really high high quality child care but uh and, and the, the thing, main it's a big stressor on families
1: and the thing is I think some you know it's kind of a unrela- somewhat related you know issue is we, we have a pretty low birth rate right now and, and we, need, we need people to have kids but I think a lot of folks aren't having kids um because of some of these problems and you know, I mean, you look at Japan right now; their birth rate is basically zero, and they're having these huge problems where they're trying to figure out what are we going to do, because in twenty or thirty or forty years, we're not going to have enough people hmm. to be supporting the folks that are aging. And you know, when you have like a system, kind of a you know system to take care, like social security type system, so it's um, it's
0: hard to afford kids right now. I mean, I, I
1: look at, I've said this a lot to friends. So, um, if you're say married couple with two kids, right, and you're making a decent income, but so you want to go to Dinner and a movie. I mean, I mean, you look at the cost of going to dinner. I mean, tick- movie movie tickets are almost twenty bucks. If you want to get some snack, I mean, you're looking at to do that. It's probably going to be at least a couple hundred bucks, or, or more. With the babysitter. Yeah, and then and if you but if you're going with all four people, you know, it, so it's uh, the mm-hmm. cost of all of these things to to have family. It's just going up and up and up. Yeah. And then
0: and Alaskan families are struggling. I mean, most families are really struggling financially in terms of paying for childcare, um, healthcare, housing. We have some we have very high cost of living in those areas i've spent time in
1: so many countries probably namely for a long period of time australia and they have basically a single payer system where everyone has insurance mm-hmm. and there's also private market if you want to buy additional pri- but nobody worries about losing the job or you know how many people here do i know that have a job or a spouse has a job they they have to kind of keep because it has insurance for their kid mm-hmm. because their kid might have a pro- you know might be sick or They worry about, you know, and that's another problem probably for a kid, you know, to Something's wrong and they can't go to the doctor.
0: Yeah. I mean, health care coverage is a really important uh, protective factor for kids. If kids have Denali Care or private insurance and can go get health care regularly, that's protective for their, you know, healthy development and for the parents to be able to get the help they need and get connected to, you know, for example, like if, if mom or dad is really depressed, that has an effect on kids. And so if kids can come in and get seen and mom and dad can get help with depression, um, that can really help. And then when parents have healthcare, uh, their kids are more likely to get, get seen. Um, and so, you know, if we were to take away Medicaid, for example, from a bunch of adults, the kids would suffer because the adults aren't getting help for their healthcare needs and the kids aren't going to get in as much.
1: So, um, earlier you, were th- you mentioned intergenerational trauma. So this essentially is, you know, you have a bad childhood or your parents have a bad, ch- you know, you're going to, it's going to be passed on, right? the, the these problems are going to be kind of...
0: It can like, be. Yeah, I mean, it's not a, a sentence. You know, people can have more, more rough childhoods and, and find sources of resilience and protective factors and, you know, healthy adult relationships that help help them to, to not have those long-term health effects. Um, but, yeah, it increases the risk. It changes kids' bodies to be exposed to chronic stress and toxic stress.
1: So your, your role with the um, less controlled stress, so you're, you said policy advocacy, you're working with different um groups and and different um i guess non-profits or just different groups to to kind of Put it, pull, pull, pull it all together?
0: Yeah, I mean, we're a network of, you know, people from all sectors who can come together and help guide the work that we do. So collectively, this group came together and created a curriculum for training people in the health and education sectors. And, and there's a group of trainers who do it. Collectively, we came together and decided last session to advocate for a resolution, what well, was originally a resolution on adverse childhood experiences and trauma-informed government. It ended up actually being statute, though, and we got it passed Um it was last session it was yeah i remember i remember that yeah so i mean we're and we're one of the first states to do that to pass uh this aces awareness trauma-informed awareness into statute so we are working um on how to implement that how to support the administration to implement it in departments and then you know making sure that legislators all have access to this science and this data
1: so i want to talk a little bit about rural alaska um because i think we all know that's there's so many struggles out there and problems and i have a friend who's Moved here, I guess, seven years ago now, and she's a teacher in rural Alaska in the village. And, you know, I just, I don't know, it seems like that's really the place where really a lot of kids can go through really, really tough times, whether, you know, sexual abuse or drugs, drugs, or all kinds. Of, I mean, is, is that something you guys do?
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the really eye opening things about the ACE study um, is that it was done in a population that was mostly middle class, college educated, and largely white, and they found that. ACEs were really prevalent and so that was sort of eye-opening that oh this is not just a problem that happens in rural Alaska or in this community or that community Uh this happens everywhere. Um, So that's really important is that this is a a universal experience. It's also true that there are disparities, right? And that rural Alaska in some cases has higher rates. And so one of the things I love about the Alaska Resilience Initiative is that as a network, we we have leadership from all over and we have really strong leadership from Alaska Native people who are doing amazing work to address intergenerational trauma and the historical trauma that has contributed so much to it. Um, and they're really helping, you know, the state understand what are, uh, what do Alaska native led and rural led solutions look like? So like, um, in Queen Ilangok uh, village in the Yukon Come Delta, there's an elder led child protection team that supports, um, young families to prevent abuse before it starts. Um, Kotzebue has been organizing recently with some really strong, you know, local Inupiaq leadership. And so in the native village of Chiklun has done incredible work to transform the way their tribe does everything. How they run their tribal school, how they do their uh, child welfare, um, kind of using this trauma lens in a really culturally affirming way. So that's important to the work we do, that in order to address the trauma that exists because of the historical you know trauma that that uh, you know the colonization that took kids away from their parents and the mm-hmm. generations yeah, like the, away, uh,
1: boarding schools.
0: Absolutely, yeah. That you know anywhere in the world where that happens, I, it has you know, an effect.
1: I was in a. would go back to Australia when I was in Northern Territory? There's you know Aboriginal communities and um, Northern Territory is kind of a, a where the highest number of Aboriginal Australians are, and it's a uh, kind of struck me there is, is the issues. If you drew a chart. With like two sides, and, and you listed all the problems the Aboriginal Australians face, and then all the problems Alaska Native people. Face. You would not know which you couldn't pick. You couldn't pick who's who because they're identical. Mm-hmm. The problems are identical, and uh, I think it has a lot to do with you know the history of, of well the, the pattern
0: same... of colonization was mm-hmm. almost identical. Yeah, it was you know was taking very... kids away from their families, putting them in boarding schools, abusing them.
1: Yeah, and the loss of language. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's um. So and what what, what are, I guess the. I'm just not sure the answer to this, but the main factors. I mean, I guess income would have. I mean, you know, pe- people with more money probably aren't, you know, going to have more ability to take care of a kid. Maybe is it income? And then,
0: I mean, yeah, it's complicated because right, the ACE study showed us that even with upper income people, there's emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse. You know, these things aren't, um, you know, aren't uh, only problems of people with low income, right? On the flip it side, I, had some,
1: I grew up with some friends that were very wealthy, but their parents were. Um, I'm not sure if "abusive" is the right word, but they pushed them so hard Mm -hmm. that they always felt like they had to. You know, it was it was a constant. They were, even now, they're kind of like, you can still kind of see it. It's always they're trying to, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that all parents need to understand healthy child development and. Healthy parenting and so on, um, but it is true that that uh, poverty is a stressor, right? It's a stressor on caregivers, it's a stressor on kids. Not knowing if you're going to get evicted, not knowing if you have enough food to eat, that causes chronic worry, and that has a you know an effect on your endocrine, your neuroendocrine system. That has an effect on your body. Um, yeah, I was
1: reading a it was a Malcolm Gladwell book. Uh, I think it was outlier, maybe Outliers, but it talked about. You know some of the, the outcomes of, of kids in these really, really poor communities in New York City, and they started this program. I think it's called KIPP. Knowledge, I forget the acronym. KIPP
0: is is yeah like a charter school. Yeah, so
1: they took these kids who who you know historically they performed very poorly because you know a lot of times low very low income single parent homes they weren't really focusing on school. They took some of these kids and the program, and they put them. It was highly intensive. It was like ten because what they were saying was one of the big factors for like education is if a kid, you know takes the summer off and th- they don't do any school at all compared to some kid whose parents may be very involved yeah. They're in summer they're keeping engaged three months later they lose so much that they're so far behind so this KIP program they put these kids in highly intensive it was like 10 hours a day and it was year, you know they took very few breaks and what they found was was the outcomes of these kids who were in the program were basically the same as as kids in you know higher income areas and it was the same kind of you know they were
0: yeah, I mean, investments pay off, especially early, you know. So, yeah, I read that book, and I'm, I'm familiar with some of that work. And when I was a teacher, that's I was trying to create, you know, for the kids the opportunities that, that they their parents weren't able to afford. You know, not that their parents didn't love them and value their education, but they didn't have the means to provide those things. And so I was trying to kind of get my school district to provide some of those opportunities. But especially if you look at something like Parents as Teachers, which is a home visitation program. Yeah, I think
1: uh, Representative Tuck, didn't he start? Wasn't he? Chris Duck was involved in that years ago. Oh, okay. That was one of the things he was, yeah, I think he still,
0: that makes sense. I mean, they
1: they passed it, but I I think they didn't they haven't been funding it
0: in. It's, uh, yeah. And it's zeroed out in the governor's proposed budget, parents, as teachers. And, um, I mean that's a program where I looked at the research on it recently, and if kids, if families got parents as teachers and preschool, um, their kids were kindergarten ready, right? A much higher percentage of them were kindergarten ready, including the kids from low-income households, right? It it helped reduce some of that gap between the lower-income kids and the higher-income kids yeah. because they got this really good supportive home visitation in preschool.
1: I read an article a while back, and it was um, it was about it was about a study that was done, and they they looked at the vocabulary of kids, mm-hmm. and by the time, I think it was by the time you're 10 years old, the, the, your vocabulary, like the number of words you knew, had these huge implications and correlations on like what, what level of education you would have, how much money you would make, I mean all these like long-term things in your, but just based on, you know, how, 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 how many words you know at the age of 10. Mm-hmm. And that's all, you know, goes back to education.
0: Yeah. Although it's interesting, you know, my students when I was teaching third grade in California uh, were all bilingual Um, so they, they had certain disadvantages, um, but they also had the advantage of being bilingual and bicultural and knowing how to code switch and knowing how to navigate Mm -hmm. the world that way. And they were incredibly compassionate and thoughtful and, um.
1: So you, you, you touched on the, um, governor's budget earlier, proposed budget. Yeah. I mean, a a lot of this I think has to do with how, how our society understands, acknowledges values and Wants to deal with these problems, right? So a mm-hmm. lot of that's government. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe talk a little bit about this budget and kind of some of the things that you know are in there that. I don't think you're probably a big fan. of yeah, I'm, I'm I mean, getting we're, the, <laughs> we're, we're worried. I don't think anybody's a big fan of the budget. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah, we're, we're pretty worried about the effect that cutting early childhood programs will have or that cutting education and health care. Um, so they want to cut, you know, 300 million out of Medicaid, and it's unclear where all of that will come from. But as I said earlier, if you cut adult Medicaid, um, and those adults are parents— right then their child then that's going to affect their ability to parent to manage their own health and and be there for their kids development um and also their kids access to healthcare right um they want to they're proposing cutting uh, adult dental services right which can lead to systemic infections and heart disease yeah there's right? a big
1: i read a study about a huge correlation between your your um dental health and your heart your heart i mean yeah. if, if you've yeah it's like very it's,
0: so those are things that worry me, you know, going back to early childhood, right if it zeros out funding for programs like Head Start, which decades of research have shown have have long-term positive effects. So not only kids are more likely to graduate um, high school, and but they're more likely to earn higher incomes. They're more likely to be uh, healthy parents later in life. Right. So Head Start and other preschool programs have a very, very high return on investment. Um, James Heckman, the Nobel Prize-winning economist, looked at return on investment, um, and it's like seven to seventeen dollar return on the dollar for prenatal investing in prenatal and early childhood programs. So in this budget. You know, zeroes out a lot of those programs, so I, I don't think it's a smart investment in Alaska, right? Um, so but
1: I'm sure you've you, you, you've been talking to legislators, and mm-hmm. based on your, I mean, I think a lot of folks see the budget, and you know, the average person might not, you know, most people don't live and breathe Juno stuff, so they see it and they go like, oh my god, you know. But it seems to me that a lot of this stuff is going to not end up being not end up happening with the proposed budget. I think the legislators are going to be putting a lot more back.
0: Yeah, and, and what we've been trying to do is provide the legislators with the science and the data to be able to make those decisions. You know, hey, here's what we know about early childhood investments. Here's what we know about how much adverse childhood experiences cost the economy, right? So it costs like $866 million a year um, in healthcare costs alone in Alaska. So, you know, we want to think about ways to reduce adverse childhood experiences rather than increase them. So, you know, we should be looking at the budget with that lens. Um
1: well, it seems to me, I mean, I've, I've always said, you know, if I was if it was up to me, I'd, I'd say we should provide unlimited, you know, contraception to people because if, if you, you know, end up having a child that might not be planned or might not some you, a child you can't really properly take care of, I mean, the, the cost on society, I mean, I don't even know how to measure it, you know? A yeah, the importance is batch- that
0: people can make that choice, yeah, have the all the options to be mm-hmm. able to make that choice for themselves. Um
1: so right now, right now in our state, if a, if a kid is you know is it abused or is you know sexually abused or physically abused or you know, emotionally, I mean, is it? You know, I'm not I don't have any kids, so I really don't I hear different things. But is it how easy it is for for a kid to get? Is it hard? I mean, is it hard mm. oh, to on get age, help. To get I mean, help. I mean, depending on the age, I guess. Obviously, is a big factor. You know, but.
0: Alaska is a state that that went ahead with the child advocacy center model um, earlier than some other states we've done a good job with that So so what's that it's instead of having to go to the police station and tell your child who's been sexually abused right instead of having to go to the police station to tell your story to the detectives and then go to the hospital and go to the er and tell your story to the nurse and get an exam there you can go to one place and do it all and you tell your story once Um, and it's recorded and you're interviewed by someone who's trained in how to talk to children in an appropriate way. Um, you, you can have a medical exam right then and there. It normalizes it. It makes the kid feel safe. It supports the family to get to, you know, the non-offending caregiver to get the support that they need. Um, you know, get access to mental health services. It's a, it's a really good model and it all, not only does it help kids heal, but it also increases conviction rates, um, for the, the sexual abusers, um, You know, but some of the problems are that uh, we don't have enough troopers, you know, not every kid, especially in rural Alaska, is able to get to a child advocacy center and have that interview and those support services. There's um, there are a lot of system barriers to kids getting mental health treatment. Um, the kinds of support that any kid would need after that, right? Because, right. I mean, sexual abuse is, is severely traumatizing, but if you tell an adult and you're believed right away and you're able to get support services, um, it's, it's a very different outcome than if you don't, you know, you're not believed, you're not, you know, you don't even get to tell your story, you know, the, the perpetrator is never arrested. Like, it's a, it's a different outcome. And so we do have some barriers to kids being able to get um, access to mental health. Yeah, and there's, there are a lot of people working on that. I can talk more about those system barriers if you want, um, but let's see.
1: So how many – and there's the children's tri- – I mean, how many different groups or people are – I mean, like probably a lot, but, what, you know, what are, the, I guess, some of the main
0: – Yeah, it dep- I mean, there there's big statewide groups, and then there's, you know, individual tribes that are doing amazing work uh, with their ICWA workers, you know, doing uh, child abuse prevention. ICWA is Indian Child Welfare Act. Okay. So, um, you know, and and the tribal compacting that's been happening with the child welfare system and tribes to take over some of the investigations and, you know, and foster care placement services. So there's there's a lot of people doing this work in different ways. Um, But some of the big players uh, are the Alaska Mental Health Trust Authority and the Mental Health Board, um, All Alaska Pediatric Partnership, um Oh man, now I'm gonna forget probably, people and, truly, <laughs> and gonna, feel embarrassed if I did name you for, important you for, people. You forgot us. Yeah. Encourage and Fairbanks Community Mental Health Services, um First Alaskans Institute, um Alaska Native Tribal I mean, Health Consortium. Like, yeah, it, it,
1: it seems like there's there's I mean there's no, no shortage of people who recognize, understand, and wanna wanna address and, and eliminate this.
0: Yeah. And um, you know
1: unfortunately it just seems like it's so you know, not just in Alaska but you know, all over the everywhere it's prevalent, you know. It is. And, it, it seems to, I guess more people are aware of it, maybe not like you're talking about that study, and mm-hmm. just in general, I think more of us kind of acknowledge that, you know, mm-hmm. that, you know bad things happen, and, and we need to do our best as a society to
0: yeah,
1: reduce it, eliminate it.
0: I like the work that's happening in communities. It really heartens me that um, there are community-based coalitions. Um, that are taking this on so like Rock Matsu which is short for raising our children with Kindness Matsu or um, Rock Juno or the Southern Kenai Peninsula Resilience Coalition or the Revilla Island Resilience initiative um, some of the work that's emerging in Fairbanks and Kotzebue, they're you know on a community level saying how can we work across sectors because you know just my agency can't do this alone and just my sector can't do this alone we have to work together to to figure out where, you know, what are the gaps that kids are falling through and how can we better support families in a kind of primary prevention way where we're just helping connect families to each other so they have social support and they have... Um, I think local. with
1: any, I mean, whether it's that or any issue, I think the, the more local it gets, the, the, the better it's going to be.
0: Yeah, and some of them are driving policy change, you know, some of these local networks.
1: So you you going down to Juneau any, anytime soon? You were there, I guess, last week, and you were yeah. there before too. In fe- February. Hopefully, right? um, we you we're like figuring it down there? out. I do. Interesting, interesting uh, uh, ecosystem in the capital.
0: I love it. Yeah. I most find people that one don't. Really interesting.
1: Most Alaskans go for maybe a day or two, or, but I've been there. You know, it's we're back in Anchorage now, but I'm going back tomorrow and being there long term. You just, it's just incredible how that place works. It's,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's like, it's like no other environment I've ever been in.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you know the ins and outs of it much better than I do. Um, but I appreciate being there and being able to meet with legislators and give them this information and hear what they're concerned about and answer their questions. And, um. Well, it's,
1: um, it's been a great podcast. I'm glad, glad we got to connect. Yeah, and now we're, now thanks we're Facebook. for having me. We're Facebook friends again. <laughs> so <laughs> I imagine you'll be quite busy. I mean, this is no, no shortage of work for you Yeah. to do.
0: Does that mean I'm going to... We're gonna have some more arguments on um, Facebook about, it's, it's po- I mean, about I've, actually, <laughs>
1: I've actually tamed it down a bit because um, some, some of the posts I've made uh, over the years have been kind of designed to you know, you poke the bear a little bit, put something out there, and then it just gets it just gets so uh, overwhelming sometimes to deal with some of the, the commenters because I have so many friends mm-hmm. on there, and some of them are just really. I mean, I've, I've had to actually yeah, I've had to get rid of some people in my own. Facebook.
0: Think, you know, I think poking and, and asking hard questions is good, but it's kind of to, on whose behalf? You know, who has yeah. the power? Are you punching down? or Are you punching up in your comedy? In your,
1: well, that's a good. Yeah, I think probably sometimes both. I, I try to just put, put something out there to have a discussion, and sometimes it, depending what it is, it can go well or it can go. It can devolve into something horrible, but yeah. it's always it's always entertaining at the least. Um, depending on the perspective, but (laughs) I want to, I really want to thank you for coming here. And this has been very, I mean, I've learned a lot and talking to you before, you know, this is something I don't, not having kids and, you know, I have a lot of friends with kids, but Mm -hmm. it's something that I think, you know, more people need to be thinking about and aware of, and we need to do everything we can to, no kid needs to go through a bad experience.
0: And what happens to kids affects them throughout their life and affects our economy and affects everything else. So Mm -hmm. it's definitely not just an issue for people with kids.
1: Well, I appreciate you doing the podcast, and we'll do another one in the future. All right. And uh, best of luck. And folks, I want to thank you for listening. And if you have an idea for a podcast or um, want to do a podcast, get a hold of me, and we'll talk to you next time. Landline.